Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. And for the last 12 years, we have provided very easy to set up lines of credit for small businesses. And I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you're interested in setting up a line of credit for your business, uh, I would highly recommend it. I think it's one of the most important things a business owner should do. Please visit us at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. A little bit about me. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies that have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Lorraine Ball from More Than a Few Words. But before we get to Lorraine, I just want to talk about our sponsor, which is TMG, Technology Management Group. They have been for 30 years now one of the, uh, uh, one of the leading providers of um, cybersecurity. So if you have a cybersecurity uh, issue, if you are looking to do planning so you, you don't have an issue, or on, if you are unfortunately in a position where you've already had a breach, they are a good company to call um, or uh, reach out to. You can uh, get to them by visiting, visiting their website at cyberctrl.net. Again, that's cyberctrl.net. Um, and in regards to Lorraine, after she has spent too many years in corporate America, Lorraine said goodbye to the bureaucracy, glass ceilings, and bad coffee to follow her passion to help small business owners succeed. Today, the successful entrepreneur, author, and professional speaker enjoys sharing what she knows about marketing and presentations to groups around the country in college classrooms and in her weekly podcast called More Than a Few Words. Lorraine, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Stephen, thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. So uh, today's uh, podcast topic is about selling your business, why this starts the day you launch, which is something that I really believe in as well. And we'll get into why. Um, but Lorraine, you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the company that you built and sold? So I left corporate, as my bio says, it, I was always an entrepreneur inside corporate organizations and finally decided that if I was going to ever be successful, really successful, I needed to take that enthusiasm for doing things my own way and go ahead and do it. And so I built a digital agency. I ran the company for 19 years. When I sold it, I had uh, 10 employees. We had customers around the country, actually a few outside of the United States. So I guess I could say we were a global business, but primarily we were doing traditional and digital marketing for small companies around the U.S. And when it when it was the right time, I had an offer that made a lot of sense. I sold the business and kept pieces of it that were really more about me. I kept the um, podcast because that was my intellectual property. I kept a lot of the training resources and structuring that sale 
to allow me to continue to do what I wanted to do and collect revenue from the pieces I no longer wanted did not happen overnight. So uh, when you started the organization, uh, did, did you follow your own advice that you're no. kind of talking about today? Yeah, okay. So you learned this through experience. I learned it through experience. I did do, uh, on day one, I did not know where the business was going. As I started to grow the business, I started to make decisions about how I was structuring it that I recognized would add value when it was time to sell. And so when it was time to sell, I was in a position. But no, I I think experience is the best teacher. I do hope some of the people listening will maybe learn from that. Some of my mistakes where I said I wasn't thinking about it on day one. And I think you do need to be. I think you If you are really running a business, if you are really trying to build a business that has value with or without you, and you're not just looking to be self-employed, because that's what a lot of small business owners are. They are, they're collecting a paycheck, but when they stop working, the company goes away. Um, Those people are self-employed. If you're really looking to build a business you can sell, you have to start looking ahead at what am I doing that someone else will want to pay for? What am I doing that someone else can do? And start documenting yeah, I, some of that. Yeah, I, I um, you know, when I've always been someone who's learned a lot or, or gone to many lectures. I, I was involved with, a, you know, the entrepreneur organization for a very, very long time. And so I owe one of the speakers that I heard, you know, 30 years ago when I first started my, my, let's just say my second company, you know, really had the same message. And I really bought into that idea. And so whenever I bought a, well, I'm sorry, whenever I started a company, um, I bought it with the idea that I want to build it so that someone can buy it. Now, the, the attitude I had at the time was I may not sell it. But I, you know, was for me, I had never, never had a problem at selling a business. You know, I was, I think that's, you know, getting the money off the table is always a good idea. But, um, but for me, it was about having a well-run organization that if I want to go on vacation, mm-hmm. I don't need to worry that things are going to run, uh, not run smoothly. Mm-hmm. And so by, by saying, I'm going to build an organization so that if I'm not here, if somebody buys the company, if I go on vacation, if I'm incapacitated, which let me tell you, if you have a God complex and you think that you are never going to be incapacitated, <laughs> wait, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying it happened to me, but I'm saying that un- unfortunate events have happened to me that I can see you'd be surprised what's going to happen. Oh. And so, and, you know, and so regardless, I think, you know, what, what it forces you to do is build processes and procedures, which makes the organization run better regardless. Do you feel the same way? Oh my gosh, absolutely. That was one of the things that I took from corporate. And I think that was, that was a really critical element in what I ultimately built. I worked with a guy when I was in corporate, he was my right hand and he was an amazing systems guy. And so 
when I started my, my little agency and it was just me, I took some of the processes that I had been using when I was VP of marketing with a staff of 26 people. And initially it seemed like overkill, like I was spending an awful lot of time documenting and, and laying things out. But fast forward 16 and 17 years later, if a customer called and I wasn't in the office, anyone who answered the phone could say, oh, Barbara Smith, yes, we did your logo for you 12 years ago. Oh, yes, I have copies of those files and I can send them to you today. And it was because right from the beginning, I was using systems that would make it easy down the road for me to go back and figure out what had I done before. And also, then we began to look at how do we create systems forward-looking. So the first, the first set of systems I created was really an infrastructure for an agency so that we could have a nice running history. So we could go back and figure out where we were, what we had. And then the second round of systems, we really started looking at our processes. And initially that that process was about how do we get more efficient? And how we got more efficient was let's document, let's automate. And the again, the, the idea of documenting those processes meant that every customer got the same experience. It allowed us to deliver the same quality of work day in, day out. It did not matter if John was doing the work or Bobby was doing the work. We were delivering that same level of quality. Nothing got skipped. We didn't have websites getting ready to launch and someone going, hey, did anybody do the SEO for the internal pages? And those processes meant that, again, if I was out of the office for a week and I like to travel. So when I was out of the office, that process kept running. And so when it was time to sell the business, one of the first questions potential buyers asked me was, well, what happens if you're not there? Who does? And I could legitimately say, you know what? I don't do anything anymore. I'm, I'm there to hold hands. I'm there to supervise, encourage, coach. But the real work is done by our systems and my key employees. And so I think building systems, absolutely critical. I think the other thing that's really important, and I imagine that you would support this, is cultivating key people. That if you're going to build a business that you will eventually sell, you have to create those people who run the business when you're not there, who you can say to a potential buyer, it's okay if I step out of the business because Peter has the relationship with all of my web clients, or Simon is the point of contact for all of my content clients. As a matter of fact, some of his clients never talk to me. And so creating that, that level of expertise, and I think that's hard for some, employ uh, some, uh, some business owners because it means letting go. It means taking themselves out of the equation. But I think you have to do that. 
Would you agree? I, I think, yeah, 100%. I think there's a couple things that I've noticed when, when you're building a company to be sold. Uh, you know, number one is uh, it's, uh, I think, you know, people hate the word documenting and, but I, I you know, I call it best practices mm -hmm. because I think that's really, you know, really what you're creating is how would you have done this if, if, uh, or how would you do this uh, and you're giving that to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think creating best practices is something that everybody can buy into uh, in the, on your team. Um, and number two is, um, you know, having, I've never seen a successful business and I know hundreds and hundreds of business owners that survived if they're unorganized. Oh yeah. They just don't. You know, they, they just don't. So if you, uh, you know, if you're creating best practices, now here's the second part, you need to have good financial reporting. Oh, <laughs> you know, nobody's going to buy you if your financial reporting is a mess. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, and, and in order to, for you to run your business, forget about if someone's going to buy it or not, you got to have good financing, uh, good financial reports. You got to have KPIs. You got to really understand the pulse of your business. So again, I uh, this comes back to the idea. I've never seen anybody run a successful business. Um, and yeah, is there a unicorn out there that maybe was doing it? And it's only because they hit the market at a time, and they were their only ones there. I mean, it's just it's never. I've never seen anybody do that, you know, or very few people. I've I've not seen anybody do it for any length of time. I did have a client Correct. when he launched. He launched a. Uh, a butcher shop in a part of town where there was no, there were only grocery stores. And so he had, he had a unicorn in a market that was upscale. There was great demand for his product. He didn't look at his finances for three months. He had no idea what was coming in and going out. And I nearly had a heart attack when he told me this. Um, and it caught up with him and he, he had to scramble and get organized. But then once he did, it worked. He would have been okay for six months to a year, but that business would never have made it beyond that. I think, I think every business owner needs to take one accounting course. I know it's dull. Uh, you know, it's, it's not fun, but just like I think every business owner should know how to up, update their website. It doesn't mean you're going to do the work, but you need to know enough about the process so that you can ask intelligent questions. You can tell when somebody is giving you good information or feeding you a line of crap. And so in general, I, I think, you know, kind of a rule of thumb, whether you're hiring people to work for you or people to work with you, hire people that are smarter than you and actually listen to them, but also know enough about what they're doing. Um, but I want to go back to something that when you were talking about processes, we have an amazing opportunity with all of the software that's available today for businesses to take that documentation and those systems and put them into project management software. Um, we uh, personally now I use Todoist, but we, we've used Asana, we've used Doit, we've we used Insightly. That was probably my favorite because you can build 
pipelines and you can build in standard things that every time you create a new customer or a new project, reminders go to people on certain days, reminding them to do tasks. People get sent information. And so that automation, that software becomes a real asset in your business. We had a 50-step web design process. When we sold, the company that was buying us had a 10-step process. And then when they looked at it, they were like, wow. But that became a real asset for them because it was something that they could implement, not just on the work we were doing, but on the work that they were doing as well. And so we were coming to the table with resources that we had built that added value to companies that were looking at us. Yeah, I think that the other thing you said that caught my attention too was um, when you have a key employee or key employees that you want them to stay and go with, you know, you have to cultivate the relationship. But, you know, I never looked at it that way. And I, I understand a little bit about your business. Um, like with my businesses, I never wanted anybody to have that much power because if they left, then uh, that would cause me problems. So, so, you know, I always tried to build uh, uh, marketing, um, two things, either uh, marketing plans or, or lead generation plans in my case that would um, not cause me problems if someone left. I did that on purpose. So I, you know, through a few of my companies, salespeople were really, really important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're very, they're very fickle. They're prima donnas. They cost a lot. And I didn't want to be, uh, to, to be beholden to them. So I made sure I had incredible marketing. Uh, so that way I wasn't dependent on them getting me leads. Um, uh, so it, it depended on the business I was running. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is, you know, and also having duplication, uh, or mm -hmm. replication, you know, not, you know, having different people being able to, you know, uh, reduce the risk to me if someone were to leave. Uh, and, but I know like in your business, you know, the talent is one of the things that you're selling mm -hmm. to the next business along with your customer and the financial um, projections as well. So, uh, did you ever have a concern with that about the people that you're working for you that, you know, they may not, they may just leave. You know? uh, so um, there is always turnover. And in the agency world, that is very much a reality. We mitigated the risk by cross-training. So there was some duplication. We also, um, I did something that I think a lot of my peers thought was crazy. I actually encouraged my employees to freelance. Because, and, and here's why. And again, my business was different than your business. And um, if you have a talented designer, no matter how much time that designer spends working with you, their friends and family are going to say, hey, I know you work for them, but could you just do this for me? And so rather than creating a situation where there was this tension, they felt like they were hiding it. I'm like, look, as long as you are not selling to our clients, you're not going out in public handing out a business card for your freelance business when you also work for me, 
take on as many freelance projects as you want. And as a matter of fact, if you need help, we can work out a shared arrangement. I can't tell you how many projects we got because my designer, my web developer, my writer was working on something that ended up being too big for them. And they brought it in house. And so um, I created this situation where it was very collaborative. Like I said, a lot of my, uh, I, I belong to a lot of peer groups, told me I was crazy, but I had long-term employees. It's unheard of for a graphic designer to stay at one company for seven years. It's, it's very unusual for a web designer to stay with you seven and eight years, but they did because they had the best of both worlds. They had a job that they liked, that they were compensated for, and they had freedom to do other things. When my designers left, I continued to allow them to use, um, I had uh, for some online printing sites, because I had a, um, a corporate ID, I got a discounted rate. Even though they were freelancers, they could still call me and say, hey, Lorraine, I've got a print job. Can I use your ID? Absolutely. Why? Because again, when they were running into opportunities that were too big for them, they came back to me. So uh, some of cultivating employees and this is, this is an area I'm really passionate about, and, it, and it's separate and distinct from selling the business. Cultivating high-performance teams requires that you have a level of trust and communication that a lot of business owners are not comfortable with. My employees knew what our financial situation was every month, good or bad, and it created a very collaborative environment when times were bad and a lot of fun when times were good. Yeah. Yeah. I had that same experience. I would not, I would have done uh, things uh, with one of the companies. I shared those numbers with people. And when I shared, I thought it was a good idea when things were going really well. And then all of a sudden things got really bad and it was really, it wasn't good. So um, I think what you're, I hear you saying is have a plan for how you're going to mitigate key employees leaving, right? Absolutely. Which is, yeah. Uh, and, um, and I think that just makes it a strong organization. Here, here's a good test, I think, for anybody who's listening, uh, for those of you who are listening. And that is go away on vacation for 10 days <laughs> and don't call into the office. And, don't ha- and no one's allowed to call you. Mm-hmm. Less, like less, this is an emergency. Or wait, could you do it? Like if you did it that way, I, I don't think I said to me, I never, I never said to any of my employees, don't call me. I just went away. I didn't, che- I didn't check in. And I knew that if I got some calls, which I didn't, that I had screwed up and I had not built good processes, procedure, best practices, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I was too involved in the business. And mm-hmm. that's a good sign. I would go away with these nine other business owners. And what was amazing is every hour they were either on the phone or checking their texts or emails. And I wouldn't be on at all. And I had, I would have one or two of the guys say, aren't you checking in? I'm like, no, mm-hmm. if there's a problem, 
you know, and it's serious. If they can't handle to call me. And if mm-hmm. they do, then I know I have to, you know, work on something. Absolutely. Um, and you, you would think that they would, you know, would have, but I think you said something earlier, which is so true. Small business owners are just so controlling of their businesses. And the thing that I have seen that if you want, the purpose of this podcast is to help you to get over 10 million. Mm-hmm. If you are not going to get over 10 million in most cases, if you are doing everything. No, no, you're not. You're not. Um, and I want to maybe switch gears and plant another seed for things that you should be thinking about when you sell your business. Because I know we've talked a lot about process and we've talked a lot about people. Mm-hmm. Apologize. My printer has decided that it's going through some diagnostic. I can't hear it, so it's all right. Great. So one of the other things that I think you need to think about in terms of your business is it is not an all or nothing sale. Someone may want to buy a portion of your business, or you may only want to sell a portion of your business, and you need to go into that conversation and go into that negotiation knowing that up front. So for example, I think at the beginning I said that I kept my podcast. I created the podcast originally as a marketing and promotion tool for the agency. It was a way to demonstrate my uh, expertise. It was a way to book speaking engagements which put me in front of groups who potentially could buy our services. But I enjoyed the podcast and I wanted to keep doing it. And so I actually created a uh, second business entity long before I started any negotiations with selling. I moved the podcast. I moved all of the training resources, my whole digital toolbox. I pulled that out of the business. So when a potential buyer looked at the company They only saw the pieces I really wanted to sell, and I negotiated based on the value of those assets. Did you do that because you you knew that you were going to sell that business? I did it originally. I, my, uh, my very first sort of split was we ran a conference, and I knew that the conference would either be really successful or could completely bomb. And I wanted to make sure that I separated the financials between the conference and my core business. I did not want decisions that I made in one to impact the other. So I created a separate business entity. And the conference, fortunately, was successful. We would have done it again, but there was this thing called COVID. Yeah. It, it kind of messed that up. But in doing that, I then started looking at the business. And at about that time, I started, I'd already had one round of conversations about selling the business and had decided not to, um, but started thinking about down the road if I was going to. And I moved those other assets at that point. I moved everything associated with the podcast and everything associated with my, my training programs and my online training portal over. We still cross promoted between the two. Um, but they were separate business entities. And so when I sold one, I was able to retain the other. 
and it, it made it a lot it made it a lot cleaner. I didn't have to go in and start going, yeah, but that's not included or that's not included. It wasn't included. The podcast was owned by a separate business. Looking back on it, when you went to sell, um, and, and let's just stick to the, the subject matter that we're talking about today, which is, uh, um, you know, really, well, it's not, not really a process. We're talking about starting your business and thinking about you're going to sell it at some point. Um, looking back at it, what mistakes did you think you made in regards to when you sold the business, when you built the business, what was it, some of the things that they were looking at that, that you noticed, oh boy, I probably could have done a little better job in that area. I think that I was more, as I was running the business, I was okay with the ups and downs this year is good. This year is not so good. This year is good. This is that that's a natural ebb and flow of a business. But when I went to sell, if I could go back and do it again, I probably would have been a little bit more hardcore about managing some of my expenses a little bit tighter because the financials, yeah. I would have strung together three, three stronger financials. I still made what I needed to every year. My employees got taken care of, but there were times where I, and I stopped doing this. Uh, I would stop doing it and then I would do it again, where sometimes I would hire in anticipation of business coming. And sometimes I would wait until the business came. And the years where maybe I hired ahead of the curve were the years that I maybe took a hit uh, one of the reasons that we did so well in 2020 was I had already looked at the numbers and knew that it's, it's wackadoodle, but every agency owner I know will say the same thing. Election years are terrible because somewhere around June, everybody freezes. And the answer is, well, I'm going to wait and see what happens after the election. And you're like, well, if the Democrat wins, what'll you do? I don't know. If the Republican wins, what'll you do? I don't know, but I'm going to wait. And so I had already decided in tw early 2020, I was not going to, I was going to um, keep my staff levels. We were, even though our sales in the first quarter of 2020 were going up, that I was not going to hire additional staff, that I was going to keep our expenses tighter, which then helped us tremendously rolling through the rest of that year. Um, if I had done that in uh, 21, which actually had been a really good year, but if I had done that in 19 and 21, as I was looking to sell in 22, I would have had a stronger three-year period. And I think that's something that you, as you get close to selling, you really, really need to be looking at. Yeah, and there's a there's a technical reason too because when a company goes to buy you, they're gonna play they're gonna buy you based on what's called a multiple. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, there's industry multiples, your industry multiples. There's other if you if you have a unique business, then that's a different story. But but the multiple is paying you like let's say for example in your space it might be four to six times earnings. Um, that's based on earnings. So if you are you know, they're not paying it based on revenue in most cases, they're paying you based on earnings. And therefore, if you reduce your expenses, 
the amount of money that you're going to get is going to be higher for the business. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is it does attract their attention. Mm -hmm. You know, if you made a million dollars one year and the, another, you know, a, a, or, you know, if you, uh, versus 500,000, you're going to catch someone's attention much more with a million dollars. And then you're going to get paid five to, you know, I'm sorry, four to six times that earnings, four to six times a million dollars is significantly different than four to six times $500,000. So, uh, and, 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 and I think, you know, in, in a lot of businesses, certainly in the agency world, they're looking at three to five years. They want to see your track record there. Uh, and that consistency is, is so, so critical. So I think that paying attention to your earnings, taking a more critical eye, invest in your early years and um, harvest in your later years. When you're getting ready to sell, um, I think having a more critical eye towards harvesting strategy rather than maybe aggressive growth strategy is a really good way to build a strong balance sheet that makes your business look more attractive. Yeah, I think that's a good way to end it right there. So uh, that's all the time we have today. I'd like to thank so very much Lorraine Ball from More Than A Few Words for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Please also uh, give us a five-star review if you like today's podcast or any of the other ones. It really helps us get the word out. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, please feel free to visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Lorraine, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? So uh, the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. But if you're not a LinkedIn person, definitely head over to morethanafewwords.com and you can drop me a note through the website. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. And, you know, I think the summary of what uh, the takeaway that I got today, it just reinforced to me the decision uh, that you should really work on. And that is um, build your business with the idea that it's going to be, you're going to sell it. And regardless if you're happy with that idea or not, it's just going to make your business a better business. And um, I think that's exactly what it's done with my businesses. Um, and, and who doesn't want to go away for a couple of days and not be bothered by the office too. <laughs> so, uh, you know, something that really, you know, bring it home for you, for those of you who are kind of control freaks. And, um, other than that, thanks. Thanks for listening. And again, uh, welcome to the entrepreneur MBA podcast.